0: like, we really have a lot of odd people here. And I know it takes one to know one, but, but it, it, it truly is. And I realized that somehow this club had actually created a place that feels like family, that feels like home, that feels like a place where I belong for those that maybe in the normal everyday world don't really feel like they belong. And um, that is something special which, which the sport of running actually does where you've got people who are gardeners and people who are CEOs um, actually being able to interact together and belong to something um, and be part of something together across across differences. In fact, something which is incredible about, about running is that no matter how rich you are or what your family inheritance is or what race or culture you are, what language you speak, There is some point in a race where absolutely everybody smells really bad. Absolutely everybody looks very bad. And absolutely everybody has a limp. Meanwhile, the spectators keep shouting their propaganda looking good. All right. And I mean, and the... And this is exactly what Strava um, have capitalized, is that need to belong to something. And actually, they even ran a very successful campaign um, at the end of 2017 called Hashtag Athletes Unfiltered, where people could were encouraged to post their worst selfies on a run, where they looked the stinkiest and the sweatiest, and even the ones where they didn't complete the run because of an unscheduled toilet stop. And... Surprisingly, they got 26,000 responses. So it was, such was the need for people to just be accepted as they are. And um, in his book, Bringing Out the Best in People, um, author um, Alan McGuinness observes that where there's a strong sense of belonging within a corporate company where it's almost a sense of family, where people have the same loyalty and commitment um, to to one another, they have found that it has a very strong adhesive effect and people will actually um, not move to another company even if the salary is a lot higher um, because this important psychological need of belonging is being met um, by their their employer. And so it is not surprising that two of the greatest um, and most well-known coaches in America caught on to this and they were able to use this to build winning teams. One of them is Coach Joe Ehrman. He's a football coach, also has a passion to raise young boys to be men. And um, his game plan was the following, was to build what he calls a team without walls. A community in which there are no obstacles to becoming a team member and no separate rooms within the team. His vision was that each team would first and foremost be an accepting community, and this is what gave the team the power to actually end up being winning football teams. He says, "To be part of a nurturing, caring community is a tremendous gift in our individualistic society." Another great coach, um, Coach Joan Newton, um, one the best-known high school coach in in America, who um, coached York High School to 28 state. Um, cross-country titles. Incredible achievement. Only high school coach to ever be a coach on the Olympic team. He did not just build a team. He's actually spoken of a, as building a dynasty. And this guy was incredible. When you read about him and is you don't hear about great scientific methods and high-tech scientific um, centers that the school had where the kids used to train. Um, no, when you, when you read about him, you read, read about a man who built teams of up to 200 high school boys in which he was everything from the whole entire school band up to kids that were slightly disabled, up to kids who were superstars who went up to get um, college scholarships. And amazing about him is that he knew everything about every one of the boys. And in fact, he even had nicknames for every one of his boys. That's how intimately um, he knew them. And it's so interesting. Um, he, 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 when, when, he, when he talks about his, his recipe, he doesn't talk about VO2 maxits or lactate thresholds. He says that um, a strong and caring coach athlete relationship has been the key to his success. I love this quote, which he says, and this is for those working with young people, um, you know, and it, I think it's the same for old people in your, where you manage teams at work. You know, he said, in reflecting on more than six decades of coaching, kids are basically the same as they were in the old days. They're terrific. And if they know you care about them, they'll do anything for you. That's the important thing in coaching. It isn't the system you've got. It's your relationship with your athletes. And he's known to being able to bring out the best out of every single kid, and that's how he built a strong team. All right? and and just, I've, this has really been an inspiration in my in my own life. Um, when I started out coaching, um, I, I first thought, okay, I've got to know all the science and the ins and outs and um, the technology. And, and that's what I would study. And I had a very sort of um, raw, raw type of form of motivation. You know, no pain, no gain type of stuff. Showing Rocky movies and, and, and really pushing everyone to the limits. If you don't bring your bit, then you must just what shape up or ship out kind of vibes, and but, but I, I wasn't actually getting results, and I wasn't building a strong team no matter how talented everybody was, and then I began to learn from these guys that were very successful that their secret was in coaching the human spirit and caring about each individual, and I began to focus on building community, on building a family within my team on treating each person um, as the individual that they are, letting them know that I care about them, whether they slow or fast, whether they win or come last, um, you know, whether they loaf in practice or don't, although a good kick up the butt is apparently good for young people, it's actually love. Um, and but I began to work on letting them know that they're loved, and slowly I actually began to see our team grow stronger. And stronger. And it's very interesting, Sebastian Coe, one of Britain's greatest um, ever ever milers, who actually spent some time under Coach Joe Green. Um, Joe Joe Newton, I mean that, or Coach Joe, maybe I'll just change my name to Coach Josephine. <laughs> um he said, it is often said great coaches know an awful lot about the events that they coach. I actually think great coaches know more about the people that they coach than the events. And I think whether you're in corporate, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're just um, working within a team um, in, in your university, wherever we go in life, the secret is that learning to become great at coaching the human spirit. And you bring out the best in people and create them together, a cohesive unit, a community, a family, in which everyone everyone feels that they belong. And they'll be committed to that team. And you're going to create, like Coach Green did a Dynasty. And, and I realized that this secret, actually, that it, that it was the secret recently. Um, we, this last summer, we had our, our best summer um, ever, our most successful summer as a team. And um, towards the, the end of the summer, we actually also went through two tragedies um, within the team. And um, on reflecting to the way in which the team responded um, amongst each other um, in this time of tragedy, It became very clear what was the secret of our success during the summer. And I realized that we had become a family. Thank you.
1: Good evening, everyone. My name is Duncan. I'm going to be doing the second uh, session of, of our TED Talks tonight. And actually um, ties in quite nicely to what um, Kathleen said. Wasn't planned, but uh, the Lord knows. Um, so I'm going to be talking about um, leadership according to Jesus. Um, it's a topic that I'm passionate about. I love, love leadership. I love looking at good leaders and, and seeing what makes them successful. <coughs> and um, when when you look at the world today in terms of leadership, I don't know if if you agree with me, but I see um, a that there is a crisis in leadership today, generally. Um, if you look around the world, there is a, a distrust of leadership, generally. Um, there is always a view, or there is a view that there is, um, that leaders are self-serving, that there is some hidden agenda behind what they're trying to do. I don't know if you agree with me, but a lot of people, a lot of leaders, or most leaders are seen like that, okay? Okay. And that is because of the abusive leadership that's been happening over the years, and this is not just in South Africa; it's it's over the uh, over the whole world. And when when I look at this, I, I've been thinking for a long time: what is a good leader? What makes a good leader? And you know, for me, the first the first point of reference um, would be Jesus. Okay, if if I look at um, at look at Jesus, I would see him as the perfect leader. All right, if if you look at his life and his ministry, he um, gained incredible success in a very short amount of time, um, and and he 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 had a massive following, only for about three years of, of ministry. Okay, and a following that's actually going on today, part of us we we keep going with it, and 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 I started looking at. What were some of the qualities and, and some of the um, the things that he put in place as a leader? Now I know he was is the son of God and God was with him and God blessed him and all those type of things. That's obviously true, but there were certain um, points and and and, and um, things that he he applied in his life that made him part of the reason why it made him so successful. Okay, um, and this this. Kind of leadership model that he introduced. You know, if, if we look at his time in the in the time that he lived, it's very similar to the time that we live today in terms of leadership. There is in in those days, in his time, there was a massive distrust of leadership. People hated leaders at that stage. Um, they were seen and mostly were self-serving. Okay, they did have some hidden agenda. All right, if you look at the how the Pharisees, for instance, treated Jesus. You see the hidden agenda behind what they were doing, okay? Uh, the Romans who were ruling over them, the Jews hated them, and and he came in and he he came with a leadership style that was completely countercultural, okay? And and really attracted people um, by the thousands, all right? And I always I always wondered how, what, like you know, he he goes up to to the disciples and he just talks to them and they they drop everything and they follow him. What, what were some of the principles that he put in place I've got four principles so far that I've seen it could be more um, that that I believe he he put in place which which made him a great leader the first one is he showed genuine care now this this is where it ties in with with Kathleen um, Jesus showed genuine care in the individuals of who he was leading who he interacted with all right and it wasn't a a saying thing. It was actions. All right? Now, there are countless examples of where he showed care for other for, for the people that he was leading and he was interacting. But showing care in, in someone, in an individual, um, tells that person, you are important. Okay? You're not just a number. All right? And it it develops trust for that leader. Okay? If you look, um, one of the, the, the things he said in Matthew 23, verse 11... Um, is the greatest among you will be your servants. So he said, and this was completely whack in those days. He said, if you want to be the, the greatest, if you want to be a leader, you need to act like a servant. Right now, if you think of how a servant acts, a servant is there to look out for the needs of his master. So Jesus was saying, the, the guy at the top there actually needs to be looking out for the, the others. All right. Doing all the uh, the jobs that no one else wants to do, okay. Um, doing the things in the background where no one else sees those type of things, okay. And he lived this out. A very good example, um, an example that I love about him. And um, um, Derek and Beryl from LL Ministries actually, when they talked about this, and it just hit me so hard. Um, Mark 1 verse 40 to 41. Um this is when Jesus heals a man with with leprosy now we've i 've read this over over and over um, and it says that a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion that 's the first thing He reached out his hand and touched the man i 'm willing he said, be clean now firstly, this man could give Jesus nothing in return, okay he was the lowest of the low in fact, because he was a leper. He had probably never been, he hadn't been touched for, for probably years. Okay, in those days if you had leprosy, you had to have, I think it was a bell or some other t- something that, that warned people when you were when you were walking around that you were coming. And then people would clear away. Now, can you imagine the need that this man had just for someone to touch him? That's all. Okay. Now, Jesus could have had the, the man standing there at a distance said, you healed, and he would have been healed. Okay, problem solved. What did he do? He went over there and he touched the man. Okay? And, and that, not only did he heal someone, heal that guy, but he, he met such a deep need and such a, almost a simple need um, of that man. And, and there are countless other examples of when Jesus did this. Um, now, a good example, I'm a, I'm a teacher by profession at the moment. And um, the, our headmaster was telling us the other day of a... He, he interacted or met a, 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 a headmaster from Mitchell's Plain. Um, I don't know where exactly, but it's in, in the, the hectic gang-ridden area of Mitchell's Plain, some area in there. Um, and a lot of his students who, who were in his school um, ended up in gangs and are in gangs and that type of thing. And, and he was saying, this, this headmaster of ours, that... If there is some theft or whatever in in the community, um, the the first thing that the community members go to, they go to him. And then he goes into where these gangs live. He walks into their house. Um, Obviously, he'll go to the various houses of all the various gangs. And he will eventually find what they've stolen, take it, go and give it back. And he's never been harmed by these gangs, ever. He just walks in there, takes the stuff, and walks out. And our headmaster was asking, you know, how? What is your secret? How do you do that? And he said, never underestimate the power of a high five. That's what his words were. Um, And what he does in his school, he's a primary school teacher, is he, he makes a point of giving every single student in his school a high five. Okay? At various times. Now, I mean, he, obviously, he's working in extreme conditions here. And it's not it's not the high five that makes the difference. The, what what makes the difference? That high what is is what that high five is saying. Okay, it's saying you are important. I care for you. Okay, and um, that has gained him um, respect from the gangs to a point where they will not harm him because they respect him so much, just because of that one act. All right, and that's the same. That's the same principle that. I believe Jesus applied in that, in in um, for us, those of you who who are in positions of leadership, that you need to apply as well. Okay, number two. Jesus showed vulnerability. Okay, this is another another um, thing. A lot of a lot of leaders have this idea that you cannot show any weakness when you lead; otherwise, the people don't trust you. Okay, that's that's not really what I see of Jesus. Um, now, what vulnerability in a, in a leader shows, if if you display that, is you are making yourself identifiable. All right, you are saying to those people that you are leading, "I'm not better than you." Okay, I'm not all together. You know, I'm like you. Okay, um, Mark fourteen thirty three to thirty four says, "He took Peter, James, and John along with him." And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. This is when, just before he was about to get crucified. Now he's saying to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. All right, here. Now here is an example of Jesus really being vulnerable and being honest to those around him. Okay, um, Where he's saying to them, I need your help here. I need you to pray with me. I need you to be with me because I'm, I'm struggling here okay he's showing he's showing his weakness in a sense there all right luke nineteen forty one says as he approached um, jerusalem and saw the city he wept over it again he's showing his emotions he's showing um, that he cares so much about um, the city all right he wasn't keeping it all together and saying i'm cool calm and collected all right there were times when he showed his emotions and people identified with that okay Point number three, um, Jesus showed a very clear purpose, or he knew what his purpose was, and it was very clear. Now, this is a point that can be used in a good way and a bad way. Okay, If you think of it a bad way, um, someone like Adolf Hitler had a very clear purpose. Okay, And and what this develops in people, if, if, if you are following, if you have a leader who has a very clear purpose, they know what they're going for, and they follow it, is it is it, um, it develops a, a safety in those people following. Because suddenly you've got someone who's not like, oh, you know, let's have a good time. Okay, He knows where he's going. Right? There's a very clear path that he wants to go. And people identify that and people follow. Him. I mean, you, you think of the following that Adolf Hitler had in those days. Unfortunately, it was not a good following um, or, or a good outcome or good whatever purpose that he wanted to do. But because he had such a clear purpose, people followed him. Okay. You think of um, someone like uh, Mandela. He also had a very clear purpose. Jesus obviously had a very clear purpose. All right. um, in um, John 18, 37 to 38, this is when he was also just about to be uh, crucified. He's, he's speaking to Pilate. He says, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me, and then Pilate says, "What is truth?" So Jesus knew his calling, um, and he he knew exactly what he needed to do. All right, um, and and I've the, the other day I watched this movie called The Darkest Hour. I don't know if any of you've seen it, about uh, Winston Churchill. Um, it's an amazing moving movie to me that not every single part is factually correct, but the general gist of it is. And and I was watching this movie, um, and this was a Churchill. Winston Churchill was another person who had a very clear um, purpose of why he was here. I did a bit of reading up about him, and at one point he says that he he knew that God put him on that earth for that time. That was his purpose, and he knew it. And in the movie, you can see that he um, he experienced massive opposition. Okay, and he had to make very big decisions that affected millions of people's lives, um, and he obviously faced opposition from from the Nazis. But he also faced a lot of opposition from his own people. Um, he was not liked in the beginning at all. Um, but even in the face of that, and even though people didn't agree with a lot of people didn't agree with his view to go to war. A lot of people just wanted to to enter in uh, peace talks with, with Adolf Hitler, and he said no ways we need to we need to fight this um but because he had such a clear purpose he was able to um, achieve success um and and that's the thing with them um simon sinek i hope i've said it right if you go home tonight just google him he's got this concept he calls it the golden circle Uh, right in the middle talks about why why do you exist why do you do what you do um, there's, there's three layers. One of the outside is what, what do you do? The middle one is how you do it. And the, right in the center is why you do it. And if you understand all the great leaders um, in times past and today, um, they have a very clear vision and, and and reason why they do whatever they do. Okay, so go and, go and check that out. Right, then point number four. Um, Jesus was not politically correct. Okay, he had courage. To say the truth, um, of of what he believed, all right, and Jesus said that obviously the truth and love, um, but he was he didn't follow. He was not seeker sensitive, all right. He had a lot of success in his ministry because he was not seeker sensitive. And again, you look at you look at um, a lot of the great leaders of our times and times past. Those people were not seeker sensitive. They were not looking. For the uh, the popular opinion or the popular option, okay, and a lot of the times they had to fight through massive opposition um, to achieve success as a leader, um, and but because they were not politically correct, okay, um, that that obviously requires that you know your purpose very well as well. All right, if you don't know your purpose, then uh, you're going to be swayed by a lot of things. Um, so those are the those are the four kind of point so far that I've found of, of Jesus' life and I, and I believe that us as us as Christians um, we you know we, we have a model of leadership from Jesus that can allow us in life to achieve a lot of success okay I believe every single one of us as Christians are leaders whether you've got an official position but the very least is you're going to be leading people to Jesus okay and, and there's a good way of doing it and maybe a not so good way of doing that. You know, and, and in times past and even 20 years ago, there was an automatic respect for the position of leadership. If you were a leader, you were respected as a leader, whether you were a good leader or a bad leader. Today's, in today's world, I believe that there, a lot of people wait and, and you need to, as a leader, you need to earn respect before they actually trust you, Okay? Um, you need to show them that they can respect you, all right, and I believe that this model that Jesus showed us is the best way of earning respect and best way of leading people um, again it's not it's not for us for our own glory and to to get these high positions and these big names it's It's ultimately to bring the kingdom to to earth okay um, and I want to end off with a quote from um, John Quincy Adams. He says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Cool. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Just want us to just reflect a little bit and just to open our hearts. You know, when we come here, we don't just come here to... To hear good things and to hear good ideas and things that are amazing. And today, you know, on YouTube, there is so much. If you, if you go on YouTube, you can find any sermon. You can go on Google. You can buy it. The informations are everywhere. But I believe when we come in a place like this, we come for a very bigger purpose. The reason why we come here is to encounter the reality of Christ. When we encounter the reality of Christ, the first thing that he does, he he redefines our identity. And when that becomes clear, we know where we belong. Before I carry on, I would love to ask someone with the Bible just to read Hebrews 11 from verse 24 to verse 26. It speaks about Moses. And I would love to just to summarize everything from that scripture And we will end off with praying and we will pray for one another. And we will trust that God will do a deeper work in our hearts. Um, Can um, someone... um, Hebrews 11 from
3: verse 24 to verse 26. Okay. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures, treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward.
2: Be the mm-hmm.
3: By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter,
2: Pharaoh. Now his mom decided to put him on a little box and then after a while his sister found him on a box and then he ended up being in Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh's daughter took him as his son. Uh, as her son, as her son. So now um, Moses grew up, grew up in this house. He grew up almost like a prince. Very comfortable life. But now when he reached the level Moses started asking himself about his his own identity, Moses started experiencing certain frustration in terms of his identity. I don't know if that had to do with how he looked, or I don't know if they ever told him the story by his mom. But then he reached a level where he had questions, and those questions had to do with where he belonged. He had a very comfortable life, so he had the potential for even becoming a pharaoh. But then, in spite of those of that comfortable life, Moses started wrestling with the issue of where he belonged. And this is where this scripture is on. Can you just read it
3: again and then go to the next verse? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin.
2: You actually see from this scripture that they was said Moses' heart, which caused him to have faith. And the, the metaphor that the Hebrew is using here, with everything that had to do with Egypt, Moses perceived that as sin. And it was by faith that he refused to remain in that comfortable life. Not because he wanted to become more comfortable in the promised land, but because he wanted to embrace. What is
3: for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater than the world. Thank you.
2: Thank you, ha. Ha ha. Anyways, so that's the challenge that Moses faced. And I believe being in a multicultural country, a lot of people in this country ask themselves, Who are they? You know, I have friends, uh, some of my friends from the Cape Flats, some of them, they they, they, they tell me, Matthew, sometimes we don't even know what is our culture. We don't even know where do we really belong? Where do we fit in? You know, we are in a country where everybody asks themselves, where do I belong? Now there is a conversation about the land. Everybody is freaking out. You know why? Because it's about where do you belong. If we do not have a conversation with Christ about where we do belong, we will live in fear, we will panic. But I believe we belong to a kingdom that is greater than anything in this world. Because in that kingdom, there is a decree. God said, I will be with you till the end of time. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Moses, when he encountered the God who made him, the God who protected him on that river, he was bold enough to go back into the same very house that oppressed his own people. And he went to speak to the Pharaoh himself, saying to him that he had to release the people. Our real peace is found in Christ. That is where we belong. If you are primarily black, then a Christian, you will struggle in this world. If you perceive yourself first as a white person, then a Christian, you will struggle in this world. If you perceive yourself as a colored person, or however the world have boxed you, then a Christian, you will struggle to be a Christian. Because the journey of becoming a Christian starts by being born again. And that is in your spirit. That is in your spirit. We have to be greater than our cultures. Christ is much greater than our cultures. Than that which the society has taught of us. And when we tap into the reality of what it means to be in Christ. Even when we go through the fire like Meshach, Shadak, and Abednego. We will not bow before whatever that contradicts and challenges the reality of Christ. We will choose to be there because we know that even through the fire, He is the all-consuming fire. And He will be the fourth person that will be revealed. And that will fulfill His purposes. Tonight, I'm wanting to challenge you. Where do you belong? Where do you belong? You know, there is a very there is It was intentional when Jesus went to be baptized into the Jordan River. If you, if you go back in Exodus, you will notice that when Joshua was about to enter the promised land, he had the priests They went into the same very Jordan. And in fact, when he got there, the same miracle that happened with Moses happened. Where the water departed, God said he had to take the priest, the priestess had to walk into the Jordan. And the water departed. They walked into the promised land. But Jesus, when he was about to start his ministry, went to the same very Jordan River. Especially if you read it in Matthew, you actually see how Matthew is comparing Jesus to Joshua. Taking the people into the promised land. But now when Jesus did put his feet into the Jordan River, nothing happened to the water. But you know what happened? The heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit came like a dove. You know why? Because he was the real Joshua that was going to take the people into the promised land, which was the presence of God. And the Israelites had to understand it. They had to get it right. The reason why they were in captivity, it was because they were not in touch anymore with the same very God who took them to the natural land. And this is what I'm wanting to challenge you. So that you can open your eyes to the open heaven. Which Christ wants to establish tonight. And it is when we see the open heaven that we can lead with boldness. That we can lead. Jesus said, I do. What I see my father doing. I would like you to to ask you to stand where you are. I would like us to, to really have a conversation with Christ. The Bible says we did not receive a spirit of fear. But we have received a spirit of adoption. A spirit of power, of love and sound mind. When we do not know where we belong, we will live in fear. Because we will conform to the spirit that controls the environment in which we, be, we identify ourselves. While the world, in the nation, everybody is panicking, everybody is talking, everybody's, but I believe there have to be a people that will choose to live by faith. That will choose like Moses by faith that I, didn't, I am no longer going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I believe tonight we have to tell ourselves. You are going to have to tell yourself that I am a child of God before I am Zulu. I am a child of God before I am Afrikaans. I am a child of God before I am English. I am a child of God before I am a Congolese. I am a child of God and the Lord is my light and my salvation of whom shall I be afraid the Lord is your light he is your salvation he is your shield the Bible says that it is in him that we live, that we move and have our being that is where you belong that is where we belong in Christ Jesus when you read Ephesians, there is constantly a word that is often repeated or a phrase repeated. It says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And one of the prayers that Paul makes, he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope that we have in him. What is the inheritance that we have in him. And I would like us to pray that prayer, like Paul, so that God may show us, what is the authority that we have in Him? What is the inheritance that we have in Him? What is our portion in Christ? What does it mean to be in Him, to live in Him, to walk in Him? where you are, I want to encourage you to open your heart and start just engaging with God. Let's engage with the Father. Let's engage with the Father. Hallelujah.
4: I belong to you Lord. I belong to you. Oh, Oh Oh, we belong to you, Lord. We belong to you. We belong to you. Oh. show me what it means to belong to you Holy Spirit would you show us what it means to live and move in you Lord Holy Spirit would you take over would you take over Really find me Really find me Really find me Lord Lord I don't know I don't know I don't know what to do Lord But my faith is in you Lord is in you Lord is in you Lord I hear the world complaining many things causing me to fear Lord you are my light you are my role you are my salvation And would you show me the armies surrounding me, surrounding me? Or oh, would you show me the end of the Father surrounding my soul? Holy Spirit, Come and take over. Come and take over. Come and unveil every heart. Unveil every heart. Unveil every heart. So that we can see your kingdom is here. Oh, break every chain, Lord, break every chain, Lord, break every chain. Oh, let break every chain imposed by my culture. Break every chain. Would you set me free? Oh, I want you.